So let's just start with prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are our Father, that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you for the option to homeschool. We thank you for the characters of the Bible that homeschooled. And we pray that as we share together in this session, that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our hearts, that we might make this practical, that we might make it simple, and that your will would be done in each of our lives and our families, especially in this topic of homeschooling and what it means to character. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're delighted to be with you uh, on this topic, which is something that we journeyed through. Uh, it came to our awareness about 39 years ago when our oldest was a young toddler. And I heard this presentation about homeschooling on Moody Bible Institute Radio. And I remember my husband coming home that day from work. I had a baby and a toddler. And I said, you won't believe what I heard today. And I told him about this idea of homeschooling. And I said, isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard of? (laughs) I mean, who would think that we should have the education or the intelligence to homeschool our children? And I was shocked at his response. Well, because she went on to say, you know, I'm a nurse, and I mean, what can I do teaching children? And I said, well, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> and I said, you know, that she quickly responded that, but, but I don't have any training as a teacher. And I said, okay, but listen, I'm sure that you can handle kindergarten. Because <laughs> <laughs> I still like to color and cut and all those kind of things. And so, so, you know, that's kind of a a, a quick, we had quite a conversation about it, but I said, what an opportunity. And then just a couple of days after that, or right around that time, you had this interaction with one of your friends. Yeah, one of my good friends, uh, she she lived close to the Christian school in our community. This is, was our, you know how we plan, right? We plan when we're going to have our kids, but that ours came early. Uh, We plan our life ahead. And so we planned to send our kids to this church school. And she was walking to church, walking on the sidewalk as the little ones are going to church one morning as school's church just school. church yeah. school just beginning that year. And she came past two little first grader girls. So first graders, we're talking about six-year-olds, right? Typically. And so she just smiled and greeted them. Good morning, girls. And they never even looked at her. They never responded to her, but they responded to each other. And the one said to the other, if it's anything I can't stand, it's a cheery broad in the morning. With that intonation. This is like 37 years ago. When she told me that, after I heard this, how God sets things up, right? After I heard this presentation, and she tells me this, that was frightening to us. Truly frightening, because I we I am we are, but me primarily because I'm pretty much out of my nursing career, except when he's home. This is how we w- worked, right? I'm still doing nursing on weekends, early morning, late evenings, and he's you know home with them. So I am home struggling with two little ones, and like Angelica and every mother or parent in the room, recognizing that. Where's all the patience? Where is all these attributes that 
people have always told me I've had. She was a very patient <laughs> nurse, but she felt like she wasn't a very patient mother. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're struggling with the wills of these little ones. And they, those wills start very young. They start, you know, just out of the womb, probably in the womb if we were more perceptive. So that was a real call to our hearts as parents. And we started investigating about the possibility of homeschooling. And at that time, it was illegal in all states except the four Northwest states. Montana, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. Kind of hard to believe that, isn't it? I mean, in the world we live in today, that just 37 years ago, it was illegal to homeschool except four states in this nation. And some of you may have heard the homesteading thing we did yesterday. We touched on that a little we bit. We touched there. on that because that was one of the things that really got us thinking, what are we going to do for education? If we're going to homeschool, we can't do it here. You know, we were in Illinois, suburb of Chicago, in our medical careers, and it just really set us to thinking, what are we going to do from here? Yeah, and where what are, we are, what are our priorities? <laughs> and I just want to now fast forward to where we are in time. Because while we still have freedoms in this country, and praise God, they're still here, we're losing those freedoms very rapidly. And the family, especially Christian families, Bible-believing families of all faiths, are targeted for wanting influence over our children. There's a, an act called the Child Rights Act. Who has ever heard of this? Okay, very few. I want you to look that up. Child Rights Acts, you can Google it, not right now in the meeting, you can write it down. <laughs> This is something that happened many years ago, and it is a worldwide act that almost all nations have ratified, except the United States, last I knew. And so this is what it says. Your children have the right to be protected. Is that a good? Absolutely. But then they define what that is. Your children have the right to a proper education, and then that's good but then they define what it is. Your children have the right to, all children have these rights, right? Th throughout the world. But when you read all that that includes, there is no right of the parent in there at all. We are stripped of that, and in some countries, including the United States of America, we have met families who have been turned into social services because they choose child protective, child protective services because they chose to either give have two meals a day, they chose not to have a television in their house, or they chose to homeschool. And then they go through a lot of critical uh, evaluation and intrusion into their families. And thankfully, everyone that we know of personally have, by the grace of God, come through it. But they do not interview the parent, they interview the children. This is why it is so important that we pay attention to where we are in time and that we do diligently the work God has given us at whatever age our children are presently. Because we will not always maintain these rights. All that has to be done is ratified through our government, and now we have no parental rights at all. And that is very quickly coming down the pipeline. It actually was in place when we were homeschooling our children, and we haven't been homeschooling for, let's see, at least 
18 years or 15 years. It seems like a long time ago. I still feel like I am though. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because your young parents, this is not to make you fearful. It's to call us to be faithful. There's a big difference from operating under fear versus operating under in faith and trusting God. Yes. And uh, so we were supposed to, doing our due diligence, introduce at the beginning of this for audio verse oh, sorry. and video. We're Tom and Elaine Waters from Restoration International. We're delighted to be here with you today. And we're going to be talking about, in a world that's upside down, we need to be working from the inside out with our children. Amen. What we're going to be talking about, obviously, today is homeschooling, but it includes every, every part of life. Because for us, the true education includes every part of life. It's just not reading, writing, and arithmetic, okay? So homeschooling for us became everything that mm -hmm. we did day to day in our homes. You know, so often as parents, we focus on the outward behavior, outward responses. And when we do that, you know, it works most of the time. But that is not enough. Because children are children. They're little mini people. And they are very good reflectors of who they live with. That means whoever they live with. So a mom, out, a dad. yourself. <laughs> yes. We used to run into things. It's like, where did that come from? I think that was you. <laughs> well, I think that was you. Well, it's probably us. Let's just look in the mirror. <laughs> so um, we want to, to really work for the heart. And as I shared that testimony at the beginning about some of the parents we know personally who've been turned in because of their choices, those parents had gained the child's heart. And the children testified. They scored well academically. They were good socially. They could look at the person and talk to them without fear and trepidation. And so these are all part of that character development that is so necessary as we look at working from the inside out. Let's not focus on we want this behavior. Let's focus on the heart. And the fruit of that heart work will be godliness and, and Christian values and character in the children. Yes. So the harmonious development of the physical, mental, and spiritual powers of this is true education taken from the book education page 13 preparing the way for our children to experience the joy of salvation now that sounds pretty simple but that's pretty complex when you talk about the physical mental and spiritual and I might as well throw in the emotional okay? that's right I mean we all have emotions but it's very important and we're preparing them either for success or failure in this world. And one of the most difficult things, we can talk about all kinds of disabilities, handicaps that people have to go through life with that are often tragic and outside of their control. But many times, young people today, and we've seen it watching a generation of young people grow up as our young people grew up, we're seeing so many young people today that are being handicapped by their home education or lack thereof so that they've come out into the world not prepared for success not prepared to have their own marriage and family not prepared 
to find true success in the Lord, but actually we see many, and I'm not going to you know, speak of the, I mean, we've done a lot of research in this area. I'm not going to talk about which generations it is or what they're called, but we live in a time when there's a lot of what we call entitlement, where we don't, even today, uh, we talk to a lot of different people who are business owners, they can't find people to work for them today. Do you know why? Literally, I mean, our, our son-in-law, he's developing property, he does it on the side, and so he hires contractors, and the contractors are telling him, I can't find people to work for me. I used to be able to find people that were 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, I can't find them today. They'd rather sit home on their media. Did you say that? <laughs> on their media. Okay, I mean, that's one of the things. They'd rather sit home rather than get out here and work. And, and so this is just one symptom of what I call or what we refer to as being handicapped. Okay? They can get around physically fine. And they can do what they want to do. But when it comes to wanting to be in the workplace... It's very difficult to find people. I was talking to one business owner the other day. He said, you know, I can find people, but in three weeks, they want to be off doing something else. Mm -hmm. Just one symptom of what we're talking about mm -hmm. today in what's happening in society that we live in. Yeah. So really true education for our children begins with true education of our own hearts. Our children simply mirror who we are. And when they're little, they, they get our expressions, they learn to talk, they get our intonations, they can even develop a voice that sounds like ours. When I was growing up and, and got into my teen years, my dad could hardly tell if it was me or my mother talking on the phone when we answered the phone. I'm, hi, Helen. That's my mother's name. Oh, it's Elaine. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> That's before they had caller ID, okay? I've lived long enough to, to we, we are so... Um, pampered by all the technology that we can see who's calling, what number they're calling from, and all these kind of things. Back in the day, you picked it up and you had to actually use your voice and identify who's on that phone. So, you know, they mirror us. And so why we start with education here is because with, if it's not happening here, we're going to go through motions out here with our kids, but it's not going to have the heart work done. We're going to try to get them to do what they, they need to do or what we think they need them to do. Or how they need to be. And how they need to be, but it's better if we are actually being what they need to be. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to use some examples here, but Job twenty two twenty one says, Acquaint now thyself with him. Who is him? We need to be acquainting ourselves with God so that we're not just doing a job for God, for God's children. Our children are God's children. I appreciated you bringing that out, Angelica. It's, it's, it's important that we recognize we are stewards, not just of our finances. We're stewards of how we raise our children and the importance of this. And our first work is to be acquainted with God and help introduce our children to who God is and how he works. Mm -hmm. But when our children are young, we kind of are in the place of God for them. They look to us, and we either disappoint them, and yes, we all disappoint them, but if we take care of those disappointments in our home, 
If I got upset at their mother in front of them, I made my apology and told everybody that heard that, I'm sorry. You know, it's one of the things that our grown children appreciated very much, and it built trust and security that if I want you to be accountable, I'm going to be accountable, mm -hmm. okay? If I want you to take care of it when you get upset at your brother or sister, I'm gonna be accountable when I get upset at your mother or one of you. I've had to say many times over the years, you know, when they were littler, Daddy, sorry for the way I spoke to you. My tone of voice was not right, and that's not your fault. That was my fault. But I'm not sorry for what I'm trying to help you understand. What I told you was right, but how I said it to you was in frustration, irritation, and that I'm sorry for. If we want our children to say please and thank you at the table or please pass me this, they need to see that modeled in us. Amen. This is part of the education at the grassroots of how we teach and train our children. And if it's not happening with us, I, it's almost laughable. We have parents, they say, I've been trying to get my kids to say, please, I'm trying. I say, what do you say? <laughs> I say, well, you know, we've been through that very same thing. And we came to recognize this because I wasn't saying please. I wasn't the one modeling that and a large percentage of parents say yes that's right I really wasn't doing that I think it's important that they do it but I realize that I haven't been doing it that's right so when we came to this understanding and God started us on this venture and we made the commitment that we needed to have God not one day a week not a religion but an experience and a relationship with him and that this is something that needed to happen daily. And of course, the word of God says, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So obviously that's a call to our heart to start our day with him, right? So we talked about it. We agreed upon it. And we decided we're going to implement this for us because we need this. And I can remember the first day we got up 30 minutes early, earlier than was our normal getting up time. And so did our children. <laughs> They always slept, but not that day. Oh, it's a one-off. The next day, we got up 30 minutes early. So did the girls. And they just didn't wake up. They woke up with frustration. They were crying. They were whiny. They were fussy. This went on for several days. And so we had it figured out. We'll just get up earlier. <laughs> we backed the clock up, I think, almost an hour and a half. And they were on time every single day. And my husband said to me, Honey, this is not... This is not a one-off. This is spiritual warfare. Because he, he could see that when we make a decision to seek God, Satan is there in every way to distract and intercept that commitment. So that night, before we went to bed, we put our children to bed, tucked them in as we normally did, and then we knelt by their bed. And we had a special prayer. Now, I never thought of that before. But you know, we receive not because we ask not. <laughs> ask and you shall receive. And so we said, Lord, it seems like something more than just, you know, happenstance here. It seems like the devil does not want us to be having this time. And we need this time with you. And from that day forward, that changed because we sought God, because we needed God for ourselves. 
I mean, when we say this, it's not that we weren't having time with God, and I want to back up because I don't want to just run over this and miss this, but we need a relationship with God that is connecting us with the power of God in real time. Amen. Not just religion, okay? I mean, we all know the history of the Jewish nation, but they missed their Savior. They crucified him. We crucify him anew when we don't have the experience and we just keep doing what self wants to do or what we feel like doing. We need a connection with God that changes us, that starts Mm -hmm. us off on a new day with new power to live the things that come into that day. Amen. And the devil hates that. He doesn't care if we spend some time with God. He just does not want us to connect with the power of God. That's right. One is religion. The other is Christianity and the vital power of the gospel. And that, again, is the inside out that we need as parents in order for our children to experience what it means to be surrendered to God. When their little self rises up, whatever age it is, or their big self when they're later in life, they need to understand where this power comes from and that it's not just something we go through the motions to get. That's right. So that's kind of the beginning of our journey, and that prayer was amazing to see how God answered that specific prayer. And they slept. They slept until the normal time that they normally got up. And that kind of gave us the footing to move forward. Um, so going back to true education, I have there's many definitions, and they all include what we just shared here in that one from, from, from the book education, page 8 or 13. But in my mind, I like to simplify things, like super simple. And I would say true education is teach our children how to know and do the will of God, period. That's all-inclusive to teach and train and educate. Teaching is head knowledge, and that is not enough. Training is hands-on, how to do the will of God, how to know what the will of God is, and then how to carry that forward. And we'll give you illustrations through this talk today, uh, what we mean by that. Also referring back to our website, rionline.org, we have a whole section under parenting. There are several albums of you know, complete six six segment albums of parenting there that are free to listen to. We have quite a few in the in the media section that you can watch. Also, we have a series called The Powerful Potential Homeschool that's audio. goes along with the book that was talked about last session, which we will have at our booth tomorrow. So, um, sorry we didn't think to bring them, but we should have. Uh, anyway, they will be here tomorrow. And, you know, to, to focus on that, what I found most helpful to me was to break things down in bite-sized pieces because how I learn or how I, my learning handicap, I'll call it, all right? I learn more by what I hear and see than by what I read. So if I'm studying, which I do, I have to take it slow. I have to take a little bit at a time because we're taught in our academics to read a lot, to get a lot of information so we can be educated. But when it comes to our Christian education, we need to be reading and processing before we move on. Reading a little, processing a lot. Mm-hmm. My wife had a statement on, on, uh, in front of her desk 
that she, it was just a few words, and she would read that and say, I am wanting to make this so practical today. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what that particular one. Well, I had a number of them through uh -huh. the years or through times. the weeks, yes. It's something that struck me because as we read and we take time to reflect, there's the Holy Spirit that taps us on the shoulder and says, you know what? This is an area that you can improve in, uh, not on your own, but I'm here to help you. And that was so encouraging to me because I can tell you when we're young mothers, we're already overwhelmed and we can come to a conference like this and there is so much here that we all want to get and we all want to absorb. This is just one of the one of the um, segments workshops is on homeschooling, but there are dozens of workshops going on here. Right. And so we can be so saturated with information, we are overwhelmed. And I can remember going to a meeting similar to this where there's a lot of stuff going on. And someone who presented, they had a stack of inspiration alongside of them. And they could quote paragraphs and paragraphs and recite names and pages and chapter titles. And, and I'm struggling in the audience with three little ones, none of them school age yet. And, you know, just trying to navigate parenthood, motherhood, change, you know, we just moved to the country, we had a lot of challenges there, just trying to, uh, like a lifestyle change, sincere, but in, in, in infancy in the process. And by the end of that one day, I came back and I told him, I'm giving up. There's no way I'm going to get this. I have been through Adventist education. My father was an Adventist minister for part of my life. I have had the greatest opportunities available, and I haven't a clue on about 85 to 90 percent of what they're talking about. And I was so overwhelmed, and I thought, there is no hope for me. And then as a mother, that there's no hope for my children. He said to me, Honey, it's not how much we know, it's that we live what we know. And just take it a little at a time. So that's my number one encouragement to you as a parent. Take a little bit at a time and don't overwhelm yourself with too much at once. Don't read the whole book, Education, from cover to cover in two weeks. Read a couple of paragraphs a day, mark it, think about it, process it. You know, Lord, is there anything in these two two paragraphs that I need to pay attention to today before we move on? Or read the sections in that book or Adventist Home or whatever it is. Read the section that seems like the heading applies to what we're doing today. Yep. Rather than just, you know, one of the things when you mentioned all these different seminars here, this is a wonderful opportunity yes. for all different kinds of things. But we can become so saturated with information that we actually don't do anything with any of the information. Better that we can take a little bit, okay? Like, what does it really mean to surrender? And how do I teach my child that? How do I teach my children to pray? You know, the Lord just one morning said to me, you know, in that still small voice, there's no audible voice going on here, but as I'm praying, Lord, open my eyes. Teach your children to pray. Now, does that sound like rocket science? But do you know how few parents teach their children to pray? 
Now, I'm not going to ask for a hand showing here, but it was a new thought to me. And that is what I began to do as a father. Is to, it's, you know, it's cute to hear our children say, you know, <laughs> please help me to be a good boy. You know, Josiah said, help me have a good, nice day. Was mm -hmm. that, Repetitive. Was please help me to be good and have a good, nice day. I love you. Amen. That, that was a prayer. It's cute when they're, you know, two, two years old. But if they're praying that prayer at eight, it's like, come on, we got to get, we got to make this more real to life. And, and when I had that thought, teach your children to pray. Remember what the disciples said to Jesus? Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. Mm -hmm. They were so moved as they came into the presence of Jesus and he was so wrapped in prayer. Well, that was a very practical decision. And our children have thanked us many times for that. Yeah. That's that's not that's not a huge philosophical intellectual kind of decision but it's one that many many parents well-meaning parents don't get on their knees beside their children and teach them to pray so what that looks like in in reality when he's two and he's been praying this for months okay what does it mean to have a good day oh that i'm going to be kind to my sisters that gets incorporated in the prayer so you ask the child, what do they understand? And then they can define it, and it becomes part of their prayers. Does that make sense? Bringing it to completion. And so, you know, that's how our minds are. Because like I said, I have a simple mind, and I like things in little pieces. And then I learn better, and I, then I retain better. So we talked about just a little bit about true education. What are some of the components of that education? What is our end goal? Well, of course, our end goal is that we have children who reflect the character of God, that have the desire and the passion to be his ambassadors in this world, successful missionaries, and also prepared for the heavenly courts. That's the end goal. And there is a process to get there. We can't skip any of it. Now, I want to just broaden our concept of missionary here. Because we tend to think missionaries in the, the truest sense of the word or the, the, the most confined sense of the word, I'll say, is that, that you go to a mission field, as I did, and you do nursing in a foreign country, and you give of your time and your, your talents and your commitment. And we tend to think of missionaries as doctors, nurses, teachers, Bible workers, pastors. God needs missionaries in every viable field of occupation that's Amen. out there. He needs missionary pilots. He needs missionary engineers. He needs missionary uh, podiatrists or, uh, you know, right veterinarians. Where they are, not having to go to a foreign country. Yeah. This is the most unreached. I shouldn't say the most unreached. We have more Christians in this country, country than anywhere in the world. And we have one of the greatest mission fields right here in this country. And we need to be open to helping our children as they begin to navigate, as they get older in life, where do their talents lie, where do their passions lie, where are their interests, where are their gifts, to start helping them channel those. If they don't want to be the pastor or the Bible worker that goes across the sea, they want something else, let's not say, well, that, you know, we got to stay with missionary because we have a limited view of what missionary is. 
We need missionaries in every viable occupation that is known to man. I'm not talking about missionary bartenders, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about missionaries in every occupation that God can approve of, right? And so one of the things that I began to do, and, and we began to do in our home, was what are the character qualities that we are to focus on in our education to instill in our children? And there's a simple verse in Galatians 2. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Oh, 5, 22 and 23. Thank you. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit. We know it. We've sung it. I'd had to sing it to get the right text. I hadn't sung it through my mind yet. <laughs> That's the advantage of singing scriptures because then you memorize them. So for me as a mother and a homeschool mother, this was a study that was ongoing for probably a decade and a half or more because I had to keep coming back to it and back to it and back to it. And out of that study, second time around came the series Cultivating Christian Character in Children, which is free to listen to on our website. So I brought along, whoops, that's the wrong one, just a little bit of how... Can I guess how old that notebook is? Well, I'm sure they can tell. It's quite tattered and torn and <laughs> tell by the price tag. 89 cents! <laughs> hey, this thing, this thing is going to be a, a classic here pretty soon. <laughs> Um, character qualities. I found this so it broadens out the scripture, but the character qualities, and I would underline them. I read the definitions, and then I would go through in my Bible study and in inspiration, and I would write on here quotes, right? Like I said, a little bit at a time. Because for me, I don't remember unless I write it. I hear, and I see, I learn. But when I write it, then I tend to remember it. We all have different learning styles. That's what worked for me. And so this is just a piece of that study. It was the, the initial one. And like I said, I would do this, and it would take me more than a year to go through these. And then, you know, I would study something else, another book or something. I kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And we kept coming back to this in our family, didn't we? Every day. Every single day. And we, we did these activities so that they were real-time and in reality, we did all kinds of, of fun things, but when we were out in the garden, I can remember one, one day, because weeding is a part of gardening, right? Right. And uh, you're going to see, I, we're going to be on a panel, I guess, it's tomorrow, right? Where Sabbath. Gonna, what you had given pictures of our garden. Sabbath. Yeah, on Sabbath. And anyway, it shows, because sometimes we can get discouraged in gardening, just like we can get discouraged in parenting because it washes out or nothing grows or freezes or, or whatever. But weeding becomes a reality in the character development as well as in the garden. And I can remember as a part of our routine weekly schedule, there was a time for weeding. And Josiah was, our, he's our youngest. He's 30, 36 now. He's, a, he's our baby. <laughs> I can remember this so distinctly. The girls were finishing up their chores, and you would ask him to go out and start his part of the garden. They had their little assigned areas of gardening. And he went out there, and he's... Five years old. Five years old, singing, I want to say at the top of his lungs, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, 
And it just brought such a smile to my face because it wasn't his favorite thing to do. <laughs> Tonka trucks were. <laughs> but he understood that you don't always just get to do everything you like to do. Okay? This is one of the reasons that we decided very early on, and I thank the Lord, we made a commitment to five days a week we did family recreation time. And it was a, it was a God inspiration because we committed five days a week, 30 minutes a day minimum, to recreate with our children. And they grew up and you know, that recreation went from you know, running little trucks around or cars in the house in the winter or whatever to you know, building jumps with mountain bikes and playing follow the leader and you had to do what the leader did. It's like, I can't do that jump. Yeah, you can do that jump, Father, you know, <laughs> as they grow up, okay? But taking that time, what a difference we saw in one week when we started doing that in our family. You're going to be out there weeding, okay? I didn't always, I wasn't always out there weeding. No. But I loved when I did get a chance to weed, and I always talked to the children when I was weeding with them about how much I enjoyed weeding and the things that I learned while I was weeding. But then being able to play with them, recreate with them, we saw them change their attitude almost overnight. It's like the things we were trying to get them to do, somehow when we entered in with things that were fun with them, it was a give and take, just like it is in marriage. And they just rose to the occasion. And our young people, and I praise God for this, developed such a work ethic. It's another thing that's missing in much of the generations of, of today. Okay? Yeah, I'm not going to say what age groups, but generally is lacking this real level of industry, uh, a level of determination and motivation and what we call self-government. Okay? Yeah. You know, <laughs> children spell love, T-I-M-E, because they don't know how to spell, but they know what it means. And to a child, love means you have time for me. I felt loved by him because he gave me his time. He could tell me, I love you, love you, love you, but if he never spent any time with me, do you think I would think he loved me? No. Because we all understand intuitively that love means we want to be together. We want to take time. And children perceive our love, not just by what we say or how we treat them, but that we actually give them time, our time, to enter into their world instead of always wanting them to be in our world. Does that make sense? So we're talking about this character development. One of the things we recognized early, not as early as we should have, you know, parenting is a process. We get our baby, we're in love with this baby, we're excited, we want to do it all right, we want to be perfect parents. And like was shared last hour, uh, we find our imperfections show up very quickly in the process. Children have very big hearts to forgive and forget. And so that's an advantage that we have. But our children, they, they needed to, um, 
we wanted to express to them the importance of learning this, how to know and do God's will, how to have God's character molded in us. And so as we began this process and we talked about the character qualities, we also talked about one of the things that we saw was that they also needed time with God personally. And it was easier with that as they got a little older and they could read, like our girls. They, could, they, they got their Bibles, they could read. Our middle daughter had a passion to learn. At five, she was ready to read. She wanted to learn. Capture the time that they are ready, because every child is different. Our oldest child was ready at seven. So while it's true about not inundating them with so much academics at a young age, we need to educate when they are prepared and ready and have desire and passion. Because that's we have every advantage to help them be successful with less problems and conflict, right? Some children that may be a little older. Then you have the child who says, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Don't take that line because that some kids will never be ready because they don't want to. And that's a tragedy. And that's We've a tragedy that in homeschool. So many times. Then they're in their now they're in their early teens and they really can't read. And they're humiliated. And they can't write. And now they turn to the parent and they have bitterness toward that parent. Because they were just letting them do the garden thing and you know, do the nature thing. And, and all those part of education is not the only part. It's teach our children fundamentally to know and do the will of God, which means we have to be disciplined. Which includes we have to learn to do things that we don't like to do. Because that's real life. So anyway, we decided... Um, that we were going to give them this, their Bibles and give them that opportunity. For our son, he was too little. So we gave him a cassette player. Yes, you know, are old enough to remember those. <laughs> he could punch in. You know, we had the Bible read. We chose not to use an animated Bible uh, reading with all the dramatization. We just simply wanted it read with a nice reading voice. And we chose Alexander Scorby. He's an old, old timer, like my parents' age. But a beautiful voice, uh, very, very inflective. So the child, as they hear it, they, the, and the spirit is there, they interpret what's being said without all the picture graphics that we put on it that sometimes distort what's really being said. So the girls each got a notebook because they're going to write like mommy writes, right, in her devotional time. And our son wanted one. I said, pick a notebook. He picked this one. I said, great. You know? Just because it was different. He didn't have anything pink. He wanted a pink one. So he would sit, he would sit on his bed morning by morning, and he would listen to a story. Not a lot of it. He would hear a chapter. Sometimes there's two or three stories. Sometimes there's one long story. He would listen, and then he would take notes. But he can't write. So he did picture notes through it. And then we would come back and say, oh, wow, that's really good. Uh, you know, and so sometimes I'm not good with picture graphics. So then I would ask questions about it, and he would tell me. I was surprised at how much he was learning at four and five years old. Well, it's very amazing. We had no idea when he was this age doing this that he has a photographic memory. We didn't know this through his whole homeschool until he was in flight school. 
And I went down to be with him before his finals on his uh, flight training. And he's, the day he was going to take the test, the national test, he, said, he handed me the FAA manual. It's about this thick. He said, I have to be prepared to answer anything in this manual on my national. I said, okay, <laughs> well, how can I help you? <laughs> he said, just open the book and start reading. This makes my heart race because I can remember <laughs> doing this. I opened the book and I started reading. And I was on within five to seconds, five to seven seconds, he said, this is page such and such, chapter such and such, and he began to pick up where I was reading by memory. I said, you have a photographic memory. And he said, I do. <laughs> I said, no wonder you can remember every gate code of every airport you've ever flown into. He said, yeah, I, don't, I never knew why I knew all those things. I just have them all in my head. He remembered every phone number. It's like, you have a photographic memory. And Very that, unlike his mother, that, for sure. <laughs> that little notebook, it just, he was seeing pictures in his mind, and it was imprinting the truth in him at four or five years old. So we never know sometimes as parents the different minds of our children, but that, that was just... Um, and amazing. he was, to be honest, he was the child we had the most challenging with. Uh, the girls actually started school simultaneously. Yeah. And they, you know, I figured the five-year-old, she'd drop off and she, she tracked all the way through with her older sister. Never missed a beat. Figured she'd get tired of it, you Yeah, know. <laughs> back off. But 20 months, or 18 months. But what, what, what I noticed with him is he was challenging. Like, you know, our, all our children challenge us. And he was learning division and, and fractions and things like that. Third grade math, fourth grade math. And he said, you know, it was like, okay, here's the problems. And we sometimes get ourselves worked up because it's taking too long. You've been on this math lesson for an hour, you know, and we're tempted to get impatient. And I, you know, I'm constantly praying for patience as a mom and as an educator, a teacher. So I realized one day God just impressed me. You just need to shut that math book. Because I knew he was capable, but I didn't know what the problem was. So I shut the book and said, hey, Josiah, we're going to do something different for math today. Oh, good, what is it? I said, we're just going to sit down on the couch, and we're just going to go through flashcards, things you already know. Simple addition, addition flashcards, 1 plus 1, 3 plus 5. You know, I want you just to see the card, and I want you to say the answer. As soon as you see those numbers, all we're doing is addition. We're going to go through the whole set, and you're going to do it in two minutes. Two minutes? That's, I can't do it. I said, yes, you can. <laughs> Because you know all this stuff already. Well, it was trauma. He would get through almost all the, the cards in less in, to a minute or a little over a minute, have three or four cards left, and then he would do this. Three plus three. Three plus three. Three plus three. Three plus three. <laughs> Six. 
because he, I recognized he was focused on the time, not what he knew. And that was a, an amazing discovery. We went through tears, we went through prayers, we went through the flashcards again and again. And I encouraged him, and we would pray. And I helped him to see, Josiah, what I see happening is you are no longer seeing, and I don't want you to even say three plus three. I want you just to see those numbers and automatically give me the answer. And he, he, I said, you're, you're just focusing on the time. You've lost track. You've distracted. And we knew since he was six he wanted to be a pilot. And I said, can you imagine flying an airplane? And all of a sudden you get into problems and you focus on how much time you have to fix the problem instead of what the problem is. That is a big problem if you're flying an airplane. Now I know nothing about flying airplanes at all, but I thought it sounded like I did, which was good. <laughs> that was a switch for him. And I tell you, he turned the corner on that. And from that time forward, he focused on what he, he was supposed to do and not the clock there. And that was that was not in our notes but that was such an impactful story because what she said is what really happened he was flying a twin engine on takeoff out of one of the highest airports in the country in colorado tell you ride on takeoff at max takeoff with a loaded plane with people he lost his engine on a twin engine he lost his left engine. He is the only person in the history of that airport who ever survived a twin engine loss on takeoff. Now that was the grace of God. But this thing she did, again, chills run down my spine. He testifies to the power of God, but he testifies to the power of his mother doing something different to help him switch his brain. And I praise God for that. I mean, of course, I praise God because he lived through it, and everybody in that plane lived through it. Literally, that's the, in, in over 60 years of that airport, it's the only twin engine plane that lost an engine on takeoff that did not crash and everyone was killed. Because you have less than five seconds. He had less than five seconds. Imagine if he To go through stopped. all of the processes to recorrect in order because you overcorrect the other engine and it goes one way, you do this, it goes the other way. Anyway, it's so not a good situation. So that's God. I mean, God was there, but it's, it's these things that as we're grinding through the day sometimes in homeschool, and we're going to run out of time here real quick, too. Just, I want to yeah. deal with that, that one thing here. Yeah, go ahead. So, one of the most important things that we learned in our homeschool experience, which includes everything, okay, is that if we will teach and train our children to everything in real life, in real homes, every day, it's an amazing preparation for their success, okay? Amazing you know, even making the bed. We read a, a, a study recently that the most successful people on the planet make their beds. Okay? <laughs> so, he was making his bed, our youngest was making his bed at? Two. Two years old. Simple bed. Two years old. 
and it, it becomes, it be, but we, we hit on a thing we call self-government that was really, was really eye-opening to all of us, the whole family. Because mm -hmm. you walked in the room one day. Yeah, the, so the girls are small. They're not quite in, in school yet. They're preschoolers. And, you know, we'd wake them up and, you know, tell them it's time to get up, it's time to get dressed, make your bed, that uh, Drink we your tell, water. tell our children every day, right, what, what needs to happen. And I walk in there one day, 30 minutes after I woke them up, and they're both just sitting, just so calmly on their bed in their jammies, sitting doing nothing. <laughs> nothing, like nothing. They weren't <laughs> playing, they weren't dressed, the beds weren't made, they hadn't moved, they got out of the bed and sat. I said, why are you sitting on your beds? Well, because you, you know, why aren't you dressed? Well, you didn't tell us to get dressed. Why didn't you drink your water? Well, you didn't tell us to drink our water. That was a wake-up call to us as parents. Because we had been doing this process for weeks and weeks. And they were good at it. But we, we realized with that one short response, she came up and said to me, can you believe this? <laughs> She came upstairs and said to me, can you believe what they just told me? And I said, yes, because that's what we've been training them to do. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, we wanted to drink their water. We wanted to have their prayer. We wanted to, you know, but we're telling them to do all these things. There's no self-government. They're at the age they need to be learning to do this on their own. And that's when we made our first chart, picture chart, before they read. If you don't know what you're supposed to do when you wake up, go upstairs and look at the chart. You need to go upstairs and look at the chart. We're not going to tell you. And so we had a family council and we sat down and we said, this is what's going to happen in the home for all of us. We, gave, we laid out all the expectations. Two days after we made this agreement, and they were excited. Oh yeah, they were. But two days, it was, it was really cute. I came downstairs and I saw the two girls looking in our bedroom, one on each side of the doorway. <laughs> they didn't even know I saw them do that, but I knew what they were doing. <laughs> Wanted to see if we had our bed made. <laughs> Wanted to see if all of our stuff is put away. Because <laughs> we're on a program now. <laughs> we are on the program with them. Yeah. This is so important from, from our connection with God they need to be learning how to connect with God. They need to be self-governed in that. And if we're not teaching them, training them, showing them the way in everything, I said to my wife, they have got to learn to do everything that is in this home. Everything. Everything. I didn't clean a toilet in our house for 15 years. At least. Now, I'm not, that's no feather in my cap, okay? <laughs> but when I, when they all left, I said, us now, he's come back to cleaning toilets. I can do my part, okay? But that was so, so eye-opening for us. And if we will recognize that self-government in Christ, they need to learn to go to God for themselves. Okay? They need to learn to pray their own prayers. They need to know how to cook food. They need to know how to clean a house. Our son <laughs> needed to learn how to iron just like the girls did, and he did not like ironing. 
Well, well he did it first. He banged iron. I finally let him iron and it became his regular job every third week. He didn't want to like it anymore. And so, you know, as they got older, they could negotiate, you know, you do some of my ironing, I'll do some of your wood cutting, you know, splitting wood <laughs> and stuff like that, which is fine. But when he went to flight school, he had to have his uniform pressed every day. It's the one place, you know, you go to hospitals today, you can't tell the janitor from the surgeon. <laughs> Literally, okay? I've been in surgery too many times myself and <laughs> used to work in a hospital. But that is one profession that has not changed. When you see a Delta pilot get on the plane, you know that's the pilot. They're dressed as a pilot when they sit in that cockpit. Do you know what would happen to <laughs> all of us if they weren't? If they came casual like all of us go casual? So, we wouldn't have the confidence in them. We wouldn't have the confidence in that profession. They want everyone on that flight to have confidence in them. And it is a, a, a visual level of authority. And we are losing that in this country. We need to, there is respect for elders. There are people in authority and they need to be respected. There has to be leadership. Can't be, this is what I think, and that's what you think, so we just, everybody does what we my think. My truth, my truth, your truth, don't bug me with your truth, I got my truth. <laughs> so anyway, that, that was very important. So we want to talk one, about one more thing before we give it, before we're done. And that is expectations. Whatever expectations you have on your children, we must have on ourselves. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. So those expectations need to be based off principles from God's word. And they need to apply to everybody in all circumstances at all times. We need to be consistent with those expectations. And we need to be understanding about those expectations. Because we get a lot of people say, this is our situation. Now the kid, child has grown up and they're in teens, they have attitudes, they're uncooperative, they're rebellious, and they want to know why. Okay, they come to us, we need help. And they bring their teenage daughter into us and she sits down and she's got the attitude and you know, they're in front of her telling you know, what a bad girl she is. And it's, 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 it's hard, our heart goes out to the young person. In the same conversation as the little brother who's four years old, who's just cruising. You know what I mean by that? He's getting a pass. He's cruising, because now they have the daughter who's older with expectations. And they are keeping it tight. She knows she's accountable and should be. But the four-year-old brother can do anything he wants and get away, and get with, away it. with it. So the, his, it just so happened God is so good. The little boy's shoe came untied. And his mom called him, come here and I'll tie your shoe. He totally ignored her. And then a little while later, he's, you know, doing this, doing that, doing this. And she said, oh, come here, I'll tie your shoe. No, I don't want to. And then they're talking about their daughter's disrespect, her disobedience. So we took a little pause there to talk about real life. Expectations <laughs> are for all of us. And you have an expectation on your daughter, which is right. But you do not have the same expectation on your younger child. And so what she sees is inequity. And at that point, that girl's whole attitude changed. And the depths of her heart could come out. And she said, that is so right. I didn't know how to tell my parents, but he gets away with everything. He can do anything he wants. And they, they keep me like I am locked down because I have to toe the line because I am the example in the home. And, and so we, it was like a revelation. They weren't being mean parents. It's just we get so consumed in life that sometimes we miss the obvious. And that family began to change. That daughter from that day changed her entire attitude. And that boy started learning to be obedient.
and they had harmony in their family. So I want to just leave you with, this is not compliance, this is obedience. That's right. Compliance is not enough, okay? This is real obedience, and real obedience comes from a heart that understands and loves. Real obedience comes from expectations that are clear and equitable for everybody in the family. And if we will do this, God will bless this. And if we make mistakes, which we will, which we will, we don't have to, but we, we will. When we make mistakes, we need to be the example to our children that we own those, that we take responsibility. One of the things that grieves me as a father is so many, and it's not just men, but it's quite often men, and it's a pride issue, and everybody has pride, but quite often men have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, and taking responsibility and humbling ourselves, okay? I praise God that I recognize early in, in our, our marriage, because we came face to face, and this is not about marriage today, <laughs> came face to face with some things that we really had to deal with and I can't I couldn't just blame her and take responsibility but one of the greatest blessings for me as a man was to be able to take ownership and responsibility for everything that God asked me to in real time mm -hmm. in real life and I had no idea I mean I had some idea but I had no idea of the far-reaching impact that that would have in our children even some of you know our, our son, he took a detour, which is very painful for us as parents. Thankfully, he's back with the Lord. But even during that time, the impact of our father-son relationship was so strong. He said, I knew you would never stop loving me. I knew you would never give up on me. And I knew you would never compromise for me. And he said, something you didn't know is that I knew in my heart someday I would come back to the Lord. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's a whole other story. But for, for those that, that have struggled, because none of us ever want to see that happen, and it's very painful, but it is with such hope and such confidence daily for years, and I still pray the prayer today, Isaiah 49:25 says, I will contend with him that contends with you. And I will save your children. Amen. I claimed that promise multiple times a day when he was in his worst places in this decisions that, that he was making. But God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. Let's be faithful to God and to our children. So we're going to close in prayer. Sorry, we, we didn't give time for questions, but we are willing to remain behind if you want to ask us questions. But we're officially done with our time. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to talk about a very important subject in the world that we live in and the great controversy that we're experiencing as the world unravels. Lord, we, we recognize that we still have a window of opportunity to homeschool our children. Amen. Home training in every respect. We thank you for that privilege. We know that the time is coming when we will lose our freedoms. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be faithful today. This is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can make changes, even if those are small changes, that we will do what you're asking us to do through the grace and power that you give us 
to enable us to accomplish your will. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.